whatever you're using, John chapter 4. It's going to be a passage I want to invite you to turn to. John chapter 4, that's our scripture reading this morning. Uh, We're going to be in several places, and some of those will be on the PowerPoint this week. But the John chapter 4 passage, uh, you can turn there and we'll be there momentarily. How many of you were here last week? I know some of you look like you were here last week. Okay, last Sunday morning, I don't normally do this. I don't normally just review and go back over what I talked about last week, but there is something important I want to remind you of. Last Sunday morning, we used 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we looked at the body, the body of Christ, and how Paul uses the metaphor of a human body and the different parts or members of the human body representing us as members of a church. And we talked about what it means to be a functioning member of a church, specifically a functioning member of the Pine Tree Church. And so after a lot of prayer and discussion between the ministers and the vision team and the elders, there's five expectations that we have from our members here at Pine Tree. And I wanted to go back over those quickly, and we're going to focus on one of those for our lesson this morning. We ask that our members commit to worship. You know, that's what we're doing this morning. We ask that you commit to attending worship on a regular basis, but not just attending, but participating. There's a difference between participating in worship and then just attending, but we ask that you come participate in our worship services each week. We ask that you commit to a a Bible community, like we're having these Bible classes after service this morning. We ask that you join us for that on a regular basis. We ask that you commit to being a part of a connect group, which we have those going on this evening. Uh, We ask that you offer a service, whether that's an internal service like teaching a class here or an external service, one of our mission opportunities, but you find one area and really plug into that area. And then uh, we also ask that you're a part of discipleship. Because we want to make mature and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. So we're asking that that's not just for ministers or elders. But we're asking that everyone be prayerfully considering who is your one. Who is God calling you to disciple? And we're going to have more on that in February. We're going to offer some training on March 4th. So there's a lot coming up. We're excited about those things. But for this morning, I want to focus on worship. Now this may seem basic to you. It may seem elementary to you. Like, yeah, you come to worship, maybe you feel like you know why you come to worship. But as I was preparing for this lesson this week, I thought of a story. I thought of a time when I was in high school, when I was growing up in the youth group. Um, For about four years, we went through about five different youth ministers. So there was a lot of turnover. Some of those were just stand-in guys in between the next youth minister. And one of those guys just didn't seem to mesh real well with the youth group. And on a Sunday night, we were having a devotional, and this youth minister wanted the boys in the youth group to lead songs, uh, but none of us could lead songs very well, especially myself. Uh, So there was a lot of times where it was just awkward silence. And then one girl, who didn't normally speak up, spoke up, and she said, somebody lead the Wes Wilson song. Wes Wilson was a guy that went to our church We didn't know anything about him other than he did occasionally lead singing. She said that, and then nobody said anything. It was silent. She was embarrassed. I felt bad for her, so I wanted to break the silence and ease the tension. So I just sang out, Wes Wilson, just like that. Okay, And it 
It broke the silence. People giggled, and we moved on, and I don't think she was as embarrassed as she was initially. Didn't think it was a big deal, but then that Wednesday night, my brother and another one of our good friends, we were called into the church library after class, which for us, that was a very scary place because that's where the elders met, and that's where those men would go on Sunday mornings behind closed doors and count money. So we were being called in there, and we were in trouble, and we could not figure out why. And finally, he just said, because one of you, you were worshiping a human being Sunday night at the Devo. And then we knew what he was talking about. And I tried to explain myself. I think he misunderstood my intentions behind singing Wes Wilson. But it made me think, when I, when I was preparing for a sermon on worship, I started thinking, okay, when we come to worship on Sunday mornings, who is a very important question. Who are we coming to worship? And why would we expect you to commit to coming to worship week after week? Why would we expect that of you? We live in a culture that's very consumeristic, and we're always taught it's about the customer. It's about finding and meeting the customer's needs, and yet we say, no, we want you to come, and it's also, it's not about me or it's not about you, it's about God. It's about worshiping God, but we expect you to keep coming back. That kind of swims upstream. That goes against the cultural norm. So why would we expect you to come to a worship service? You know, I've thought about this and prayed about this. I talked with our ministry team at one of our meetings, and we went over this together, And before we jump into John 4, I just want to share with you a few thoughts on why we would expect you to come and to attend and to participate in a worship service. And one of those is we believe God wants you to. All right, now you may be thinking when you hear that, are you serious? God wants you to? That's all you could come up with? Doesn't that seem like it's obvious or or maybe not so obvious to you? Maybe you've questioned whether or not you should attend or what we're doing is what we need to be doing when we join for worship, and you're not sure if you want to be here. There's a lot of different people in this room right now with a lot of different thoughts. So there's this passage, and this one's going to be on the PowerPoint, from Hebrews chapter 10. Just to see, get an idea of who in our audience here, how many of you, when I say Hebrews 10.25, you know what that is? Anybody? Okay, growing up, Hebrews 10.25 was probably second to Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38 was about baptism. Hebrews 10.25 was about why we need to go to church. So I was familiar with Hebrews 10.25. And what I want to read to you right now is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So you can see, verse 25, why this was used, for me at least, in my church experience, to encourage people to attend church, because in verse 25 he says, don't give up the habit of meeting together, or some are in the habit of of not meeting together probably referring to a time of worship, a time of communion, a time of prayer. Okay, but I believe when it comes to interpreting the Bible and how we read the Bible is very important, that context is important. So I don't just want to 
take a verse here, take a verse there, without at least considering who wrote this and who are they writing to. And I've done some lessons already on the book of Hebrews, so I'm not going to go over the whole background. Uh, We don't know who the Hebrew writer is, but we know who the Hebrew writer is writing to, and that's a group of Jewish Christians who were struggling with the temptation to give up their faith in Christ. It was easier to just go back to just saying, I'm, I'm a Jewish, I'm a Hebrew member, I follow the law of Moses, but I have nothing to do with Jesus, because that would have made their lives a lot easier. So one of the appeals that the Hebrew writer offers is, if you want to keep your faith in Christ, and not give in to that temptation to fall back, then you need to keep meeting together. That's important. You need to keep coming together and encouraging each other, worshiping together, and worshiping with each other. We believe that that's something that God wants us to do. One of my favorite passages, or it's becoming one of my favorite passages, is something I've overlooked for many years, and that's Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes back to his hometown, and we're told this. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. So here's something interesting about Jesus, or about the synagogue. Let's talk about that for a second. Synagogue was a place where they would gather to worship locally, kind of like we mentioned last week, the local church. Uh, Synagogue was a place that maybe would reflect what we think of when we think of church, but they did it on Saturdays. Saturday was the Sabbath day. Now we worship on the Lord's Day, which is Resurrection Day, which is Sunday. But if we're looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus, one of the things that we see that seems so simple, this short little description that Luke gives us, that he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. This is what Jesus did. When there was a group of people locally gathered to worship, he was there. He grew up in Nazareth. This was something he did week after week. One of our staff members pointed out, if anybody could get away with worshiping solo, it would be Jesus. But he still chose to meet with people of faith and to worship with them. And if Jesus needed it, how much more do you and I need to gather with others and to worship with them? So, Why would we expect you to come and worship? Because we believe God wants you to. Faith communities have always gathered as a group to worship. You see that throughout Old and New Testament. That's presupposed. Now, some of you may be thinking, again, I already know all this. Why are you saying this? But I guarantee you, there's some people in here this morning that maybe you just need to hear God saying that to you through the Scriptures. Maybe you've questioned why you need to come. Maybe you feel like you don't need it, or you've outsmarted it, or you haven't been here in a while. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning. And one of the reasons why we do this is because we believe that God wants us to do this. We also believe that we want you to come here and gather and worship because we need it. Our souls need it. We're wired for community. In Genesis 3, when God created Adam, he said he didn't want Adam to be alone, so he created Eve. And then from then on out, you see God's people gathering together, not just because God wants us to, but because God has wired us and created us in a way where we need to worship Him, 
to long for him and to do that together. It's kind of like there's this, I heard one preacher describe it this way, an ache in our heart. Like something that we show up on Sunday morning, we have this ache in our heart, a longing for God that he has created within us. And as imperfect as we are, as sinful as we are, we'll never completely get it right. But we keep coming back because God has created us in a way that we need this. We need to gather and worship with each other. And we also believe that we expect you to come and to worship because we believe Jesus is on the throne. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes unpacking that and talking about that. But we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. When we worship, it's not about our worship style. It's not about our traditions. It's about who we worship. And that's Jesus. So I've asked you to turn to John chapter 4. And I want to spend a few moments in John 4. Now, I've already told you that I, when we read that Hebrew passage that I believe context is important. And I do, but I'm not going to read all of John 4, but I'll give you a little background. John was the last gospel writer. You know, I, I did a quarter where we taught a class on the gospel of John. Uh, you know, John was, we, we called it J- Jesus Remix, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke write their gospels, and almost a whole generation later, John is an older man, he writes down his version of the story of Jesus. And you see how different it is. And there's many of these lengthy conversations that take place in John's gospel, and this is one of those. Jesus breaks a lot of cultural norms. Usually, Jewish men do not travel through Samaria, but Jesus travels through Samaria anyways. Men did not speak with women in public, but Jesus goes up to this well at the middle of the day. He has a conversation with a Samaritan, and she's also a woman. So that's a lot of cultural norms that Jesus is breaking, and he's having a deep theological conversation with a Samaritan woman. And then it gets real personal. And in verse 18 of John 4, Jesus points out something that he knows about her that she doesn't know he knows. And he said, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with right now, he's not your husband. How does he know that? You know, she doesn't know, but she knows that something unique is taking place here because this guy knows a lot about her. And then in verse 19 of John 4, she said, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. In verse 20, she said, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So most commentators, most scholars would say, here's what's happening, because it still happens today. When things get a little personal... The easy move is to take it from the personal to church. Right, let's find something about church that we can complain about or talk about to take the attention off of myself. And so most people feel like that's what's happening. Jesus got real personal, so she's switching the conversation. Uh, Randy Harris is a professor at ACU. He wrote a book on the Gospel of John, and he has a different take on it. He, he says, you know, obviously she can see that this man is something important. He's a prophet. He's got some abilities to know things. So she just cuts to the chase. And she asks him the most important question in the world. That's what Randy Harris calls it. He says she asks the most important question in the world, and that's this. 
Worship. Where are we supposed to worship? If we could just get that right, then we would be on the right track. So just tell me, if you're a prophet, if you know a lot, then tell me where we're supposed to worship. And look at his response in verse 21. It says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Which is a very bold statement in the situation and the culture that Jesus is in. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus tells this woman, time is coming, in fact it's now here. Where those who really worship God will worship in spirit and in truth. And those are the type of worshipers that God is seeking. God is seeking these type of worshipers. So a lot of my life when I've read this or maybe heard others teach on it, that word truth is emphasized. As if in a one, one and a half hour service, somebody's figured out how to get it exactly right. This is truth and this is the order and this is exactly right. But that's not what Jesus is referring to. He takes her question of where are we supposed to worship, and it sounds like he changes it to how. Here's how you worship, spirit and in truth, but I don't think he's answering it with a how. I think he's answering it with a who. Over and over, this word truth comes up in the Gospel of John. And what is truth? Jesus is truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth, and he says God is spirit. So when we gather on a Sunday morning to worship, we're not going to get everything right. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's about who we worship. You know, we worship with certain traditions and styles, and, and we worship hopefully with reverence, but also with joy. But we know we're on the right track if Jesus is at the center of our worship. And that's why we expect you to come back and to worship each week. Because we believe that Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is the object of our worship. A basic definition of worship is this. The reply of the creature to the creator. In theological terms, that definition is Uh, The creature's acknowledgement of the creator's transcendence. We're the creature, God's the creator, so when we worship, we are responding back to the creator. We get this word worship, the English word worship, from the Anglo-Saxon word worth-ship, which means to attribute worth to an object or to a person. So at the root, that's what the word means. We adore God for who he is. We acknowledge God for who He is. And we ascribe worth to Him through songs, through prayer, through reading of His Word and studying His Word and taking communion. We are acknowledging God for who He is. But even still, if you're like me, there's going to be a struggle 
You have this ache in your heart, this longing for God, but still, we don't always get it right, and there's things that hinder us from truly being able to worship. There was a book that was written in the early 90s called The Second Incarnation. And they have a chapter on worship, and they have a section with a subtitle, Things That Hinder Us From Worship. So I borrowed two of their terms for this lesson, for things that hinder us from worshiping. And one of those is this, creature-centeredness. As I've already mentioned, we live in this culture that teaches us it's about the customer. We live in this culture where it's all about consumerism. So if we treat worship and we treat church that way, then we're going to start thinking it's all about me. I ran into someone a few years ago on a Sunday afternoon who attended a different church, and we ran into each other to start some small talk. I just said, well, how was worship this morning? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, did you go? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, how was worship? And he said, well, how could I know? I'm just the worshiper. I'm not the one being worshipped, so how could I tell you how it actually went? And I've thought about that ever since, because often we leave rating a worship service and how it went, how it sounded, how the preaching was, and we rate all this stuff. But if we're not careful, the mindset becomes about us and what it did for us and what's in it for me. But we're just the worshipers, and God is the object of our worship. A man named Donald Whitney wrote a book called Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. And he shares an example in his book. He was working for a church, and he had asked this old seminary professor to come and to preach at his church one Sunday. So he sat beside him, like right over here on the front row, and they sang together, they worshiped together, and he was getting ready to introduce this guy, but he just loved being in the presence of this man while they worshiped because he said he could feel how passionate he was. And he uttered under his breath, Lord, I want to know you more. And he said, here's a man who'd been a Christian for over 50 years and teaches Bible at a seminary level, but you could tell some, this is somebody who's thirsting and hungering for God. He's still captivated by the quest of knowing God. Here's someone who knows we'll never get it right, but he is still coming to worship and to long for God. But sometimes we get it backwards, and I'm guilty of this too. And we get focused on self rather than on worshiping God. And that hinders our worship. And another thing is the insensitivity to God and the routine of life. Uh, Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he says that you should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul hits on something in Romans 12.1 that I think he's trying to express throughout most of his letters. And I think a lot of the New Testament is trying to express. Is that what we do in worship together, you might call it formal worship or corporate worship on Sunday mornings, what we do is very important and I think God wants us to do it. But if we just show up and worship and then leave... And then just wait for the next Sunday or the next time we show back up to be our worship. That's going to be insufficient. But I think one of the things that Paul is trying to get across is that our lives 
the way we live on Monday through Saturday is just as important. Our lives are a continuing act of worship. The way we live, the way we think, the way we talk to others, the way we conduct our business and the way we treat the poor and the way we love or we don't love and treat our children and our spouses, that is a part. The way we live, that's a part of honoring God and worshiping Him. So it's not just what takes place on Sunday mornings, it's the way you live. So if you show up on Sunday mornings and you haven't worshipped throughout the week, then you're going to be missing something. They fuel each other. You come to worship and you're refueled so that you can continue to worship throughout the week. And Paul says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking about people that I've known, great influences in my life, of people that were good examples of someone who worships throughout the week. And a lot of you might be able to think of spiritual leaders in your family, like maybe a mom or a dad or a grandparent. And I've had a lot of great examples, but I thought about my grandmother. And she passed away about a year and a half ago. And at her funeral, uh, we did a lot of hymns. And one of those was the song Blessed Assurance, which Tony's going to lead us in here in just a moment. Uh, And now, after the funeral, every time we hear this song in worship, my daughter says, oh, that's Meemaw's song. She recognized, she's connecting the two, from the funeral to what we do at worship. Uh, But when I was in high school, when I first started to drive, when I was in college, I'd go visit my grandmother. Uh, She lived across town, across Greenville. And whether it's a Tuesday afternoon or Saturday morning or whenever it was, at some point, you know, she wanted to sing some hymns. So it would just be the two of us gathered together worshiping. And it was great because I could actually sing and not worry about people plugging their ears beside me. She didn't care. She was the first person I could sing around and not feel insecure about it. But I thought about the words of Jesus from Matthew 18 and verse 20, where he said, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. So worship was something that we did not just on Sunday mornings, that we would do throughout the week, whether it's singing hymns with your grandmother, or taking care of somebody in need, or loving your neighbor. We honor God with our lives. We offer God our lives as one true act of worship. But we believe that what you also need, what God has designed, is for the faith community to gather and to worship. I've already mentioned my daughter recognizing these songs during church service. Almost every Sunday when we come home, she's singing a song. Some song that Tony has led during the service, and she's singing the words. She doesn't always get the words right. Sometimes she's off. But I've noticed this pattern, that she's picking up what we're doing here. She's paying attention to it. She's imitating it. And it helped me realize that when we worship as a church family, as a body, that not only are we doing this so that we can draw near to God and He wants us to do that, but we're helping Raise other people's children. We're helping shape and influence the lives of others. So what we do here extends well beyond ourselves. But we do this and we believe it's important, and maybe you just need to hear that today, that it's important what we do. God has designed it this way, and He wants you to draw near to Him through worshiping with others. 
Sometimes when you think about heaven, think about eternal life, a lot of people just think, well, heaven is just one big eternal worship service. And to some of you, that kind of sounds boring or scary. There's passages like Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah's in the throne room of God and there's this worship scene. There's passages in the book of Revelation where we get this worship scene in heaven. Or you could read anywhere in the book of Psalms and you just see all these times of worship. And there's so many different passages I could have used this morning. When I think about heaven, you know, I don't think we're just going to be sitting in pews worshiping all the time. We don't know. It's going to be well beyond what we can imagine. But one thing I do know about eternal life, about heaven, is that's where God is. And we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. When Peter comes into contact with Jesus and realizes who Jesus is, he falls to his knees. That's the response when you come into the presence of God, is worship. We may not always get it perfect, we may not always get it right, but we believe it's important to show back up and to come before God and worship so it can fuel the rest of our week. This morning, we're going to offer an invitation Tony's going to lead us in what I call Meemaw's song, or that's what Addie calls it, Blessed Assurance. We just want you to know that there are shepherds at this church. And one of the things that's a part of our worship is to find a shepherd if you need to, and to be prayed for, prayed over. Set up a time to meet with someone later in the week. There's an opportunity for you to become a follower of Jesus this morning if you want to do that. You can come up front. I'll be up here. Another one of our elders will be up here. We can meet with you. We have a a baptistry. You can be baptized today if you want to become a follower of Jesus. But this, during these next few songs, this is an opportunity for you to respond if you need that. Let's stand up and let's continue singing.